Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Hi, this is Nicole. I just have a few things to say before we get started with this episode. One, thank you so much for the outpouring of support for the show. I'm so excited I'm glad you're here for it. I'm here for it. Um, continue to share with your friends and colleagues and non-working, non-nursing folks, if you like. And also, if you want to send in some stories, I'd love to read them on the air. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Number two, the second thing I want to say is that the views, my views or the views of the guests that are on the show do not represent my employer or the employers of my guests. So I just want you to know that. And the third thing I want to say is that this next episode, it gets dark, but I mean, it's real talk. So, I mean, I just want you to know that, um, there are some topics about death and dying and the, the feelings that that can bring up, um, for us. And so it gets heavy, uh, but we laugh in there sometimes too. So, you know, um, I just wanted to forewarn you uh, in advance. So anyway, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. Enjoy this episode with Des Wood. Well, hello and welcome to the Found Down podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson, and I am so excited because I have the wonderful Des Wood with me today. She's a critical care nurse practitioner with a long-standing history of working in critical care. She has a very accomplished career and was also pivotal in getting the family liaisons into the ICU to help families assist and process the emotional hardship and helplessness that comes with getting having a loved one in the unit. Okay. And I just want to say what an honor it is to be your guest. And I just think you're doing amazing things in healthcare for nurses and I'm just really proud of your continued advocacy. So thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I'm going to start crying. (laughs) And we haven't even got it started. Thank you. I'm just in awe of you, Des. And um, and I thought, you know, I think it's really important for us to have a little bit of a voice to share some of our stories, to know our colleagues aren't alone in some of the things that they experience. And I mean, of course, it always comes back to the patient, but we, we... I think it was Stu Farber maybe said like, you can't experience trauma without having ex- or having it have an effect on you. It's like going into a shower or going into a shower and not, not getting wet. Like that expectation of how some of this stuff can af- affect you. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's so poignant. You bring up Dr. Farber. I mean, 
today, we, you know, I thought you were texting me and we had some topics and gosh, talk about people that have changed our lives. I feel so lucky to have touched on him at the university. And uh, I think right now it's such a poignant time to talk about trauma and what's happening in the world. And I don't think we can really move forward in our conversation without at least acknowledging some of that, um, the hardship, uh, and also just some amazing, amazing things coming out of it. And resiliency in action. Talk about that, right? Oh my gosh. Right. I mean, we feel so, it can feel so helpless in this time of the pandemic, COVID-19. Also, here we are with the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, action does make us feel better. Yeah. And I think for too long, like, you know, people have been talking about 2020, oh, what a year, but what an opportunity though, to like wake up and actually make a difference and a change. And I think people, you know, in this crisis are, it's like a perfect not a perfect storm in a way, but in a way, it's like we have the opportunity to go to marches, to protest peacefully, to make our voices heard. And to me, that's sort of what nursing is <laughs> at the bedside in a small sort of intimate way sometimes with your patients or your families or your colleagues. And um, it's just really interesting to be a part of this time. And I think I think there's going to be good change out of it. I, I'm an optimist. I'm a realist too, though. You know, mm-hmm. I know easy and we can't forget. We have to keep moving forward. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a blend of both as well, Des. Yeah. Um, so today we're going to talk about some of the stories that have stayed with us. As we, as many of you know, who are in this profession, you have those times in your life, especially, I feel like they're when you're you're the most impressionable sometimes. It's like when you're like, I, the ones that stick with me a lot are the ones when I was really young young ICU nurse, but we have those ones that stay with us and I would say change us, you know? And so we thought we'd share some of those experiences with you. And we, of course, will do it out of respect, you know, with the patients. We, if we laugh, we're not, we're not making fun of anybody. It's just, it's just, there's just some really crazy messed up things that we and are, are privy to. Well, and I think it's important too to remember that, you know, this job, if anything right now has shed a light on the intensity (laughs) of what it's like to be a bedside nurse. And I've been watching social media and, you know, people have seen these TikTok videos of nurses dancing and like doing these routines and, and they've gotten some backlash for that. And honestly, I don't really quite understand why it's like, you have to release, you have to use humor. We have to use storytelling as a way to decompress and um, just like anyone, right? We're human. We're, we're having a human experience. And yeah. people are listening to this. It's like you said, it's not out of disrespect. It's actually, I think some of this stuff is so hidden, like this experience of dealing with patients and families at their most vulnerable time. And through that, though, there's some real strength, like you were mm-hmm. saying, out of it, as Stu Farber was saying as well. So, yeah. do you want to go first and share? Sure, I will. As I was thinking about this, I, you know, I, I, I got to thinking about mm-hmm. this. I took care of this patient when I was a young baby nurse. I was um, working in the surgical ICU. It was a combined combined MICU SICU, and this woman had been very, 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 very sick for a long time. And she was on like maximum life support. So, you know, ventilator 
and PEEP and oxygen and all that stuff. She was also on maximum doses of vasopressors. So she was on like such high amount of, I guess you could call it life support. Um, We often don't talk about, call it that in the world of nursing. We just talk about, oh, she's maxed out on pressors, maxed out on oxygen, blah, blah, blah. And um, she was, her daughter was in the room and her daughter and let me just back up a little bit. She had had um, perforated her bowel somehow. I couldn't, I don't remember if it was surgery or whatever, but she was in profound septic shock. Um, and from basically having severe peritonitis and stool coming out of her abdomen. And, and she, w- I'm going to say something. She was like, she was like um, almost like a corpse in the, in the, in the bed. Like, Cause she'd been alive for so long and her here who was her daughter was just fighting to keep her alive and and I just remember thinking you can't see this line that we that you cross and and it's not until I think you're on this side Des where you know where the line's been crossed where you like there's no a place of no return mm-hmm. um and she had definitely gone she had past the place of no return. And we even got like ethics involved in that, in this situation. Um, be, oh, oh, I know why. Cause she wanted a second opinion, which I mean, I get, I mean, if I was, uh, if I was that patient's loved one, I mean, it's so hard to come to terms with what is happening and are they really dying and is, are the doctors lying or are they keeping something from me? Um, so, I mean, I get that level of doubt, but as a, as a young impressionable nurse, I just remember thinking, my God, like, you know, there was just a lot of suffering there and Mm. she was praying for a miracle. And I just remember, you know, you hear those, you hear that from time to time over the years. I'm sure you've heard it does where families are praying for a miracle. And what do you say when they say that? If I could interrupt you. Oh, um, I think, I mean, I would, I, I, I said, like, I, I understand that. I know this person, I can't imagine what this person means to you in your life. And I, I, of course, you know, we want them to recover, but at this point, yeah, they are, they are, they cannot recover and they are, might actually be suffering here. And they need to be let free. Mm. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I actually hadn't thought about the story in such a long time. And, um, and it, I think it just, um, it, it was one of those places where, you know, you hope to God that you have families who can trust and, and, um, and respect and believe in the, people who are the experts doing the work occasionally, you know, occasionally that doesn't happen. And, you know, I guess we experience what we call moral distress in our profession and, you know, and you definitely need to get seek help from your colleagues and talk about it. And there's obviously a lot more conversations around these topics, these um, in the recent years. Um, But back then back then that moral distress was not a word that was like in 2009. Yeah. We weren't talking about moral distress. We know what we're talking about. (laughs) 
I think about, <laughs> I think about Cam. We were talking about pushing those feelings down, you know, like, I'm just like, I can't, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just going to push that down. I can't, I can't even process like the pain that this person in the bed might be experiencing. I can't process the pain that this woman is experiencing about losing her mother and not believing it. And, oh, I remember the detail, the one detail is that she had been profoundly sick. The daughter had been profoundly sick and recovered. And so she was like, if I, if I can recover, my mom can recover. Wow. So it was, a, it was, it was traumatizing just because the patient didn't look okay. You know what I mean? Do you, what eventually happened? Do you remember? Or do you just sort of. She just eventually um, died. Just um, she her body. Yeah. She was DNR. Do not resuscitate. She, she just eventually died. Like I, you know, a lot of you are going to relate to this. Mm-hmm that it was one of those patients, like after you took care of them, you would call back. Like I, I rarely did this as a nurse. I rarely d- would do this, but like you, cause you feel so connected to the situation. Like I called like the chargers like an hour later before, you know, before I was going to sleep and just being like, is everything okay? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I ra- rarely have done that in my career. You know, you just, it just sticks with you somehow. That's the moral residue. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's how they would define it. I mean, that's what the literature would say is like how this secondary experience of trauma actually like embeds itself in you, you know? And um, I think you're right though. Like we so in our span of our career, you know, you and I have known each other, what, like at least 11 years. Mm -hmm. And there has been a definite shift. And I think I'm what I'm really excited about is with COVID, I feel like there's such a spotlight on wellness for nurses and to recognize the experienced trauma of seeing this pandemic affect the human experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, like you were saying, it just it wasn't even really a word. It was like, it's critical care medicine. You're an ICU nurse. You do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you eat your young. <laughs> Although I have to say that wasn't really my experience as a new grad. I think I had a, a really good, good experience for the most part. Yeah, me too. We had, I feel like our, our culture that we grew up in was. It was special, right? It was. It, it, yeah. It was something about Five East and, um, you know, just, I, I can remember when we had the stenophones, just sharing a brief story about that and working night shift. And back then, you guys, we didn't have voice Sarah's or, you know, phones. Basically, if you needed help, you would stenophone into your partner's room. Mm-hmm. People would play these pranks on each other. And <laughs> it was like, you standing in there and I could just imagine these poor patients by like delirium on fire. But it was a way, like you said, of using humor and like building collegiality, which is so important in the ICU because you need your team when the poop hits the fan, right? Yeah. And it often does. (laughs) It will. And it happens. Yeah. Yeah. But I think those times of, you know, your experience remembering that, how do you think that like changed your practice? Do you, 
more empathetic or did it traumatize you for a while? I think it traumatized me for a while, but it, what it taught me is that people don't see what we see. There's no, there's no way. And unless, unless, um, unless they have some sort of medical background. And I think it's really important to call it out. And I mean, you have to be gentle in with your words, but like help people understand if they're not understanding the picture, you know? Yeah. Um, because ultimately our, our responsibility is to our patients. You know, I know they're, we've all taken care of patients through family members have wanted to keep them alive so that they can kill, still get their social security benefits. You're like, but there's a human body in the bed who, who is suffering, you know, and I understand you, you need to be able to take care of yourself, but this is a life, you know? Yeah. And I think it brings up a lot of ethical considerations and, you know, we as ICU nurses, the statistics are one in four ICU patients die in the ICU. So it's a lot of end of life care. And I think to me, I agree with you. I think those stories of talking about impact are usually the ones at end of life. And for me, it's like, how can you give your families an opportunity to have an experience that is, I want to say transcendent Mm -hmm. because it really can be. And, you know, um, you know, my, my dad passed away in an ICU when I was a new grad Mm. and that, forever changed me. Like I, um, seeing that happen in the midst of my new career and then like being with him and my whole family and friends, you know, I cuddled with him in the bed and like saw his last breath. Like I, that for me was such an amazing experience. And now that's not for everyone. I'm not saying that, but God, what an opportunity though, to like have, um, a ceremony yeah, because sometimes I feel like we don't we don't get a ceremony anymore. Mm-hmm. Part of that is because patients used to die at home for in mm-hmm. the night. Like this is the last fifty years, and so I, I feel like that to me is giving a good death is just as just as important as being able to identify sepsis and like no fluid resuscitation and uh, you know it's 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 embedded in who we are as nurses. Yeah, and that's why maybe for you and me, especially like those end of life stories have such an impact on who we are and how we practice. Yeah. I mean, we, we were born at least right, right, as we know, um, now we're born once and we die once. That's all we know concretely, I guess. Um, and so, you know, we can have this experience of offering a beautiful birth and then a beautiful death. Right. Does what, how did that impact, um, your, profession, having your dad die. And, and I mean, obviously I can't imagine it's probably interwoven into everything you do. Well, I think, you know, first my dad and I had a pretty um, tumultuous relationship. Um, I was his only child and he dealt with a lot of addiction, Um, but a very loving man, a magical man, like probably a bit bipolar, never diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Um, but for me, the, the fact that he, you know, he was in the hospital for eight days before he died. And I look back at that and he could have died at home and I would have never had any time to have conversations with him. 
we had an amazing eight days in that hospital. And so I think for me, I just feel an overwhelming sense of gratitude for that time because that's what we can do. We can extend time. We can transcend. I mean, he could have easily died at home. I'm not, he had a stroke and didn't call me for two days. So the fact that I was able to intervene and get him into the hospital and we had these moments together that were beautiful and vulnerable and, and had some very intense end of life conversations. Um, I, I am just filled with so much because who gets to have that, that, that is a treasure to me. Yeah. Um, so I think for my, it changed my whole life. I felt so thankful for that. Mm-hmm. And to like, to know that we as nurses and we can give families that opportunity to say, I love you one last time. Fuck. Sorry, I cussed on your podcast. No, it, you can cuss. Yeah. But, um, you know, was it hard? Absolutely. Did I wish that that wouldn't have happened? Of course. But in the end, with some, a lot of grief therapy, um, <laughs> I just feel like that was a gift and um, forever changed me. And I think changed how I'm a provider and how I want to give people that experience if I can. You know, as I see you, I can like flash to like all these feelings and, and just, like, I guess some visuals of, of you seeing you as a nurse. And when I think of you, I think of like you ushering those family members in to the be close to their loved ones and being like, you can sit here, you can touch them, you can get in the bed, you can hold them, you can kiss them, you can, oh my God, I'm going to start crying. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's, it because I think people are just so scared of that vulnerability and um, we don't, we kind of forgot how, <laughs> you know, and so to be able to usher in that touch, oh, I'll never forget that. And there was a nurse at Harborview um, who's still there. I won't name her, but she um, she was like a fairy godmother and taught me how to do that. I really didn't know how. I was terrified, you know, mm-hmm. I, um, especially when we decided to make the transition to remove the ventilator. Um, oh, yeah. It was... I was so terrified because I had done, I had done that as a nurse, but it, when you step into that space as a family member, it's whoa. Um, and she was just like literally ushering me and giving me permission. So maybe that's what it is. Like giving people permission that it's okay yeah. to have, have grief and, and to feel it. Um, I thought we were going to do a funny podcast. But <laughs> Sorry. Oh my gosh. Uh, Well, can I tell you a funny story actually about death? Yeah, Um, let's let's change that. So I took care of someone not too long ago, and I wasn't in their care for, they weren't in my care for very long. I like admitted them and then they promptly coded. So they, we had a, it was actually an exhilarating moment because. You, sometimes you can, we, we saw what was happening. Like he was, he was dying. He was about to die. And so like the fellow and I locked eyes and we were like, all right, we're going to do this, you know? And so we ran the ACLS algorithm and did it. I mean, we, it was an, it was a perfectly run code. Um, Those are beautiful, by the way. I love that. 
it was just like, yes, yeah. this is what I, this is what I love what I do. And then he, but he died. He just was floridly septic. And um, his son was there the whole time and they hadn't spent a lot of time together in the recent past. And after, after he died, his son was like, I mean, I don't know what to do, but maybe I need to have a weekend at Bernie's kind of situation. Like, <laughs> to take, him, take him and show him around all over town or whatever. Um, but it was just so funny. And he, you know, he was, and the, the patient was feeling, the patient's son was feeling helpless about losing his dad and like never being through this situation before. But he was definitely using his humor as a tool and coping mechanism. And so we had this really heartfelt laugh in this most, in the darkest moment. Again, like, I think this expectation that grief has to be sullen. It doesn't, right? It it can be um, beautiful and humorous and... And I love, I, I think that's really, like you were saying, you get one birth and one death and you, got to, you get to see the spectrum of people's legacy, right? Yeah, for sure. Des, was there any other story that you think of that has mm. stayed with you? Oh, gosh. <sighs> it's hard because you have to go through the recesses of your... <laughs> Well, I actually do think of one patient, and again, these are really intense stories. So, um, but I think like what our I feel like with Unicol, like we want to sort of lift a veil. Um, yeah. And I was probably two years in to ICU nursing, and we, you know, at we do a lot of transplant on our team, lung transplant, and I had this young cystic fibrosis patient. And she had had her second transplant reject. Mm. So um, unfortunately, she didn't qualify for another one. And she was like the most strikingly gorgeous person. I mean, just like you look at her and it, she was an angel. I mean, she's just gorgeous. And I come on and uh, the, the family had been there all night. And she was on BiPAP. So she was like on this big mask struggling to breathe, just like so dyspneic, short of breath. And um, the night team had decided to transition her that morning. So I walk in and they're like, yeah, we're going to withdraw or, you know, transition. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Wait, like she's younger than me. Like, are you, what, you know how you just sort of you, you you have to be able to walk in these situations and, okay, we're totally changing gears. And um, the family's all there. There's like 30 people in the room. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> the charge nurse is like, Des, your morphine drip's ready. And I, like literally it's 8 a.m. I have just been <laughs> in and I'm trying to process my own reaction to this situation. And yet I'm here again as a conduit to transition this beautiful girl and her family and it was just oh my god I was so scared and I I luckily had a mentor come in and help me with starting the drips but I will never forget we took off the mask and she just started crying like she knew oh. she was extremely conscious 
of her death. And I told her dad, I was like, dad, get in there, tell her it's okay. Like hold her hand, crawl into bed with her. And he just started stroking her hair and everybody's just, I'm bawling. Like, yeah. As she, and and like trying to push as much sedation as I can to help this transition. So she's, you know, of course, heart had started turning blue and I'm like, holy shit. I had never, ever, ever seen anything like that. And, um, her dad, she was a, she was a horse rider and he was telling her these stories of like, get on your horse and ride to God. Oh, <laughs> it was like, it was, it was extremely beautiful. Um, but that one, man, I will never, ever forget that. Never. It's just, um, I'm just, you know, what I kept thinking about is just the immense pressure um, and, you know, to, <laughs> this is so <laughs> I'm just laughing at how, how emotional this is because there's just so much pressure, you know, that we, we put on ourselves and we, that we hold and we want to provide this moment an experience that they'll never ever forget and I mean you you did that it was it was uh yeah I mean she's still with me today and I I again it it was a really like you these moments that you walk into I don't think I could have ever been prepared for that no um and this again was before we had any palliative care training I think I had maybe done one class yeah. Not, but I just wanted her to not suffer. You know, that's like where I was acting. Yeah. Um, and wanted her to feel love. And there was so much love in that room. And that to me was like the, the blessing is she was surrounded by just immense love. It was just, you could feel it. Mm. And not a dry eye in the room, man. That was, whew. So I, I would say that that experience for me um, is something I will never, ever forget. It's really interesting how some people really can come to terms with their mortality and the, their readiness um, to go. And like, if you would ask me right now, am I ready to die? No, I'm not. I'm afraid to die. Yes, I am. <laughs> and <laughs> I was talking to my patient yesterday and um, he was, he's, he's so, so incredibly tenuous and can die at any moment. And he was, he's, he's okay with it. He's ready. You know, he's, he said that he was, um, had worked at some point in his life in for the funeral business and had buried at least two to 3000 people in the ground. And, wow. you know, he said that there's, spirits and weird things that he experienced off off you know during that time and he knew that there were you know there's something on the other side and it's not bad so I don't know I think we as nurses we get these glimpses of yeah. our patients and their lives and their beliefs and this this intersection and cross crossroads with our patients we meet them in these most craziest strangest of places and 
it, it has, I mean, we're human, so it, it does have an impact, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, when you're looking into the tunnel of death, <laughs> a career, it's, you know, it's a little different. It changes you. And especially in ICU nursing where you're, you're doing life-saving heroics, and then at the next minute, bam, you're starting comfort care morphine drips. Yeah. And have to walk that line without maybe just in a five second breath that changes. Um, wow. Right. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or, or you're in one room, you know, with one patient dealing with some, their, their families maybe wailing over the death of like, you're helping, maybe you're helping your fellow nurse and you're in another room and everyone's like wailing and crying and, there's this craziness of despair. And then you have to walk over to your other patients and just switch on this, like, how oh, hi, how are you? What, what's going on? Are you having any pain? Like, what could I do? And just be yeah. this. It's like a bipolar personality disorder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have to be like eight people at once. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, there's so many different hats and simultaneously you're putting on one, removing the other, or maybe wearing three. Yeah. <laughs> it's fascinating. But, you know, I think in the end, would I do anything else? No. No. Uh, I Could can't. You Could you go no. like, I mean, I think, you know, back to when I was a bartender, I might be able to do that again. <laughs> Oh my God. I was a bartender. I didn't know we had that in common. <laughs> what? Did you have a favorite drink that you like to make? Uh, no, I just, no. I, just, I mean, I loved it. I loved being a bartender. It was so fun. I think in a way yeah. it's similar to being a nurse. Like <laughs> you have to listen to all these stories. You have to multitask. Right. And you're like, oh, that person's debaucherous needs to be kicked out. Okay. This guy, oh, how does he look? He looks fine. Um, not, yeah, not, you're like constantly assessing how's everyone's drunk level, you know? Exactly. exactly. And I think it's good preparation, like customer service, all of that. But in, yeah, I think those are the two things I probably could be a nurse and a bartender again. <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah. A lot to have in common. There's a lot that would they have in common for sure. Um, and I'm sure bartenders have had to do life-saving measures. Oh, yeah. They, God bless them. I mean, I feel like, you know, one thing about this COVID is we have finally, I think, unveiled as a society who is essential. Mm-hmm. And realizing that it is the people on the ground, right? Like helping prepare food, mm-hmm. um, restaurant workers, nurses, grocery uh, workers, grocery workers, uh, housekeepers. I just, God, like they, it's so like, we've been backwards in a way for so long. Mm-hmm. Anyway, That's probably another podcast, but yeah, Des, um, I just want to say thank you so much for spending some time with me today and sharing your stories. And I'm going to link up some resources probably to moral distress and death and dying and God's sakes, you know, if people out there who are listening to this, if if you want to see a therapist, seek out therapy. I mean, we experience a lot of PTSD in this profession for sure. And know you're not alone. You're not alone. And I think, Nicole, what's so cool about this platform is you're giving a voice to to help a shared experience. 
Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I hope and in telling these stories that we can, yeah, help one another, help the help the ones that are just coming up. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, you guys graduating in 2020, you're not alone. You're not alone. And Nicole, next time we do this, we'll do some funny stories. Okay. We will. I promise. I'm going to bring you back for a funny one. Funny, <laughs> funny, funny episode. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you are listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.